lead teacher here in the garden. And um, we've been doing our summer series on uh, 2 Corinthians. Uh, we're going to continue that today. And we have um, six chapters that we're going to cover. Starting in chapter 7 and going through chapter 13, let's begin. And so Paul said, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Sorry, I, I couldn't resist. Uh, obviously, we're not going to be able to finish our summer series on 2 Corinthians today. Um, we're going to do something a little different um, for my last time being able to teach you as a pastor. Um, I wanted to figure out a way to let you know exactly, I know I've said some things in the past, but I want to make sure you know exactly how I feel about this congregation. Uh, so what we're going to do instead is I'm going to show you a little clip. Uh, what, would, what would it be like if I didn't end with a Seinfeld clip, right? So uh, throw that clip up there. Your machine. What's in a box of Junior Mints besides light creamy mints bathed in real chocolate? Why'd you put that mint on me? I told you I didn't want the mint. But I didn't believe you. How could you not believe me? Well, who's going to turn down a Junior Mint? <laughs> it's chocolate, it's peppermint. It's delicious. <laughs> That's true. It's very refreshing. A whole box of enjoyments by Nabisco. <laughs> mint? Right, Junior Mints. Um, that's the name of the sermon today, Junior Mints. This box is empty. <laughs> uh, junior Mints, they're chocolate, they're delicious, they're refreshing. I'm going to look at 2 Timothy chapter, chapter 1, 12 through 18 today. Let me just read that. But I am not ashamed, for I know who I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard us until that day of what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and the love that are in Christ Jesus by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. Guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Hear what he says? Guard the good deposit that is entrusted to you. You are aware that all who are in Asia have abandoned me. They've turned away from me, among whom are Philigius and Hermogenes. But may the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and he found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you all know well the service he rendered at Ephesus. So as we like to do in the garden, we look at three applications. There's the historical application. What about man? What did he do? And why didn't, how did he do it? And then we have the theological. What about God? What did he do? And why and how did he do it? And then and only then, once you understand the history and the theology, then you can even pretend to think you can understand the devotional application of Scripture. What about me? What am I supposed to do? What and how do I do it? So let's look at the history of this passage in 2 Timothy chapter 1. <clears throat> they are somber times. So when Paul wrote 2 Timothy, just so you understand, he was imprisoned in a dark dungeon. I mean, he was in one of the worst prisons in the Roman Empire. It was so bad he was kept in chains. He wasn't just in a cell. He was in a cell with chains. 
In fact, often his friends did not know where he was because what would happen is the government, the Roman government would move him around from place to place because he had such a following. They did not want people to be gathered around where he was. And so the friends that he did have all this time in his ministry did not know where he was. And Paul knew that his end was near. He knew that his life was about to be over. He was lonely because the scripture says the Asian believers who he had spent so much time ministering to and encouraging the people he had sacrificed so much for, they had deserted him. Timothy, his younger son in the Lord, the one he had mentored and encouraged and led to Jesus and was training to be a pastor, Timothy was somewhere else on assignment. And the scripture says the only person left with Paul was Luke. And Paul had a deep concern about the churches and what was going to happen under Nero. Nero was persecuting the church in awful ways, and Paul was concerned about them, but he felt powerless. So he writes this letter to Timothy, and he's trying to encourage Timothy, listen, there are tough times right now. I know that you, you know I love you, and I know you love me, but my end is near. The only person left with me right now is Luke. I'm writing this letter to make sure that he gets it to you, because I want you to know there are some big, dark, terrible times coming for the church. As a matter of fact, many of these times were fulfilled in the book of Revelation. A lot of times people think that Revelation is a prophecy about the future. In reality, the book of Revelation, most of it has already taken place, something a lot of people don't realize. And Paul was saying there's some dark times coming for the church. And so that's the situation that Paul finds himself in. He's at the bottom. Ministry is probably very discouraging for him right now. Ministry has come to a place now where he says, I've given all I can give. I can't give anymore. And now I'm being punished for all the stuff that I've done. The people that I love have deserted me. The only ones left are Timothy, who I love, but he's away. And then Luke is here. And then he mentions, mentions Onesiphorus. And he calls him the refresher. Now, I think it's safe to say because of the the nature of how this is written that this man had already died. But he had left a legacy of being a refresher. He was kind of like Paul's junior mint, if you will. He had refreshed Paul. He helped Paul, the scripture says, he helped Paul in tangible, practical ways, not just with cheap words. You know, words... They can be important, and I get that. I don't want to underestimate the importance of words of encouragement. But when words of encouragement are attached to actions of refreshment, they are an amazingly powerful combination. And Paul says, this man had helped me in tangible, practical ways, not just with words. As a matter of fact, Paul also says he wasn't ashamed. He says, all the Asian believers have turned their back on me. They don't want anything to do with me, but this guy has stuck with me. And he was there. As a matter of fact, when I was brought to Rome in prison, he was vigilant and diligent and looking for me to try to find me, to encourage me, to help me, to bring me what I need, to visit with me, to pray with me. He stuck with me no matter what. And when he looked for Paul, he did it in such a way 
that there was political risk in doing this, by the way. So Onesiphorus' desire and commitment to be a refresher to Paul was not convenient. It was not free. It was costly. It was inconvenient. It was time-consuming. But he was proactive. And he didn't hide from Paul. As a matter of fact, Paul references the fact that he had done a lot of stuff for the church at Ephesus. So his loyalty, Onesiphorus' loyalty as a friend is well known in an environment where many people had determined that loyalty's cost to Paul was way too high. Do you get that? So Onesiphorus has this reputation of loyalty that is well known in an environment where loyalty to this man came in an extremely high price, possibly your life. So that's the history of this passage about Onesiphorus, the refresher. Let's look at the theological. God is in charge and God has this ministry of refreshment. It would not be my final sermon at the garden without referencing Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. For by grace you've been saved through faith. It's a gift. It is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. It's not a result of works so that you can't brag. And then verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should trip over, stumble into, walk in them. You see that? Onesiphorus wasn't a random occurrence. Paul wasn't lucky that somehow in the midst of all this trial and turmoil, he wasn't lucky that the one person that he could count on was Onesiphorus and he was actually there. It wasn't lucky. He was blessed. Because let me tell you how Onesiphorus came about. He was saved by God. You understand, this was a pagan Gentile man. He was somebody who didn't know anything about Jesus, anything about God, anything about the gospel. Nothing at all. And God saved him, called him out of darkness into light. You understand, this had to happen first, right? Before Onesiphorus could be a refresher for Paul, he first had to be a child of God. So he was saved, and he was chosen by God. He was chosen by God for Paul when, humanly speaking, very few, even good people, would want to have anything to do with Paul. So think about this. God finds this person, this pagan, this Gentile, this Greek guy, and he saves him, and he saves him with this personality, with this giftedness, with this mindset that says, I'm going to be loyal and refresh Paul no matter what the cost. He was specifically chosen by God for that task. And because of that, he was also equipped by God. He was made, now think about this, go back. He was a pagan. He didn't know anything about God. He was made a new creature. Behold, you are made new. Old things are passed away. All things become new. He was made a new creature with qualities of service that a lost Onesiphorus would never have had. So God calls this guy out of darkness into light, transforms him, redeems him, equips him, gives him with these characteristics and qualities that make him a brave, courageous refresher. Something that Onesiphorus never would have done 
before Jesus. But you know what else we find in this passage? He wasn't only for Paul. Paul says, and you know well the services he rendered at Ephesus. Notice that Paul references the church from the passage that I just read in Ephesians. For you are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared beforehand that you should stumble into. Onesiphorus was one of those people that God saved and created for good works that he threw in front of him. So that's the theological side. Now let's talk about the devotional. Uh, can I have some ushers come up? Those ushers are going to come up? Okay. I have some junior mints I'm going to pass out to everyone. So. <laughs> there we go. Start with one, and then you can come back and get seconds later. Okay, so there we go. And then we got two more bowls. Thank you very much. There we go. Or Phyllis is right there, too. So we've got some junior mints. Just kind of pass those down the aisle if you want and let people take one, and you can just kind of go down like you do the offering. So just go through that right now. And then, uh, oh, lucky me, there's a couple left in this box. Isn't that cool? They're chocolate. They're delicious. They're refreshing. All right. Let me just share with you this. As those are going through, how many of you have gotten to eat one yet? Aren't they good? Doesn't your mouth feel clean and tingly? <laughs> Got them? Uh-oh. No, no, it's, it's, it's Sue's fault. I saw it, so don't worry about it. Just keep going. Take your time. We got time this morning. Take your time. Yeah, eat them. <laughs> the Dennis family will eat them. Very good. I think, I think you're at 25 seconds at this point, but that's okay. <clears throat> so, as those are going through, we're talking about God's ministry of refreshment today. And I couldn't think of a better way to tangibly, see, I wanted to make you feel, I wanted to make you feel how you make me feel. And I wanted you to feel just a couple of seconds, because I know it's only chocolate, it melts really quick, you know. But I wanted you to feel just a moment how you've made my spirit feel over the last four years. Can you believe it's four years? But I feel like God brought us together at just the right time. Something's going on here. Let me go through. There we go. I think some stuff is missing, so I'm just going to skip this. I feel like God brought us together at just the right time so that we could refresh one another. You guys know that I had given up ever fitting on a church staff in any way. I had determined that I would always have to go it alone, do stuff like nightlife. I had assumed that my style of ministry, with all my flaws and all my weaknesses, would never render me as someone that people could tolerate every week. 
But then four years ago, when Bruce asked me to come, I was amazed how you graciously invited me in. You encouraged me. You loved me. You let me grow in this role every week. You made me feel special, important, and loved. So, yeah, so good, I've got these then. I feel that together we have been refreshed in our gift of faith, together. I feel like what we've been able to accomplish over the last four years is that you as a congregation and me as a pastor have been reminded that our faith is a gift. It's not by us. It's not by our liturgy. It's not by our religion. It's not by our buildings. It's not by anything but the grace and mercy of God, and we've been refreshed by the fact that our faith is a gift. And I feel that's happened because I've heard you say it. Every time I say faith is a and you guys get it. You understand that. We've been refreshed in our gift of faith. And together, over four years, we've learned a lot about our faith and how it is a gift from Heavenly Dad. You know what else has happened? We've been refreshed in our love for God's Word. Together, we have spent hours in study and reflection, learning to look at the history, the theology, and the devotional application of every passage we've studied. So we've been refreshed in a way that helps us now understand how to take God's word. It's not a mystery anymore. We can begin to look at it and unlock the truth for ourselves. We've also been refreshed in our hope through Jesus. We've been encouraged, I feel together just with you, I've been encouraged by the fact that yes, there is hope, God can still use sinners like us. You know what else I think we've been refreshed by? You guys know I've preached this a lot. I think we've been, we've been refreshed by our vulnerability with each other. I feel like we have shared a level of intimacy and vulnerability with each other that pastor and congregation doesn't often have, you know? I've been able to share with you a lot of my struggles, like US 41, preach. I've talked about the things that I've struggled with. You guys have, have shared with me, you know, I struggle with that too. I've shared with you that sometimes I'm a pastor and I wonder, am I really saved? Remember, I've shared that with you and you guys. And so we've, we've had a level of intimacy and vulnerability that has caused us to grow together in humility and love for each other. You know what else I've seen you do? There's not a lot of them here today because they're going to be over at nightlife later on. We have a Grace Life meeting at 1030. I've seen you love my nightlife kids like crazy, man. It was just unbelievable. I remember this story. This is like the first six months that we're here. And a couple of the nightlife kids are out in front of the uh, chapel. And they're smoking cigarettes. (laughs) And then on Monday, Bruce calls me and says, hey, Joe, we got to come up with another solution. Some people were complaining about the kids smoking cigarettes in front of the building. I said, oh man, what are we going to do? He goes, well, let me work on it. And so like a week passed, two weeks passed. Bruce, the kids are still smoking out front. He goes, yeah, he says, don't worry about it. I said, what happened? He goes, some people kind of took care of it. <laughs> so the kids kept smoking every week <laughs> until they got their vapor sticks. Now they do those every week, but still, you get the idea. You loved our nightlife kids in a way that a church has never loved most of them. 
You know what else has happened? We've been refreshed in our commitment to kingdom work. Just in the last few years, we've seen the garden's impact on Church of the Palms and this community blossom. We've had special church-wide Good Friday services that Steve Lenz had helped to lead and some other things where we've ministered to the entire church. We had Christmas services on Siesta Beach that were incredible, huge, and awesome. We had Life Tree Cafe, which transitioned into Deep End, and now there's anywhere from 18 to 25 people a week that show up for in-depth Bible study in the middle of the week. We had Family Promise, my goodness. Day of Hope. I mean, the list is long of the things that the garden leadership team has come together and formed with the congregation over the last four years as we have studied scripture and talked about being a part of a movement and not an institution. We've talked about vulnerability. We've talked about humility. We've talked about understanding that Jesus Christ is the only way and that the community around us desperately needs to understand the grace of Jesus. And you have answered that call because you have been refreshed as I have. So it's been a pretty amazing four years along those lines. And I have one more Sunday with you guys on September 18th. I'm not preaching, but I'll be here. I guess it's some sort of a commissioning for Grace Life or something. I don't know what's going on. A lot of it's supposed to be some sort of surprise. So I won't be preaching, but I will be worshiping here with you. And as I start a new chapter of kingdom work at Grace Life, which will be meeting on Sundays at 10.30 at McCurdy's downtown in a bar. (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) I know some of you are coming, some of you are staying, and some of you might do both, but no matter where you are, I want you to know something. I will always remember the garden As a place where a wounded and grieving pastor, remember I'd lost my daughter a few years before that, was refreshed by God's people in a thorough and special way. You have been my onociferous. I didn't even know it till about a year ago. And uh, when I think of the garden, I'm just going to think of the place that was like pastoral triage. I came in, got to know you as a church family. We studied scripture together. We grew together. I'm sure I know that I've cut some of you off on 41. I know I have. I know it's happened. (laughs) Yeah. but yet you still love me and I love you and everything that goes on at Grace Life and Night Life the garden doesn't have a small part in it it has a significant part in it because I was not in a place where I never thought I could be anything like this I'd been fired I'd been discouraged I'd been betrayed and here I was hired, I was encouraged, and I've experienced loyalty from a church family that I never thought I could. You have been my junior mint. You're delicious, and you're refreshing, and I will always remember you for that. 